Hi everyone, I'm Coach Mike and welcome to the fourth episode of the MindFit Method podcast. I can't believe we are already four episodes in. This is so cool. I hope you guys are enjoying this. If you are enjoying it, please give it a like. And you know, if you really liked an episode, please you know, share it on your social media. It would really help us in our quest to really have an impact in a very positive way for children, parents, families, teachers, everywhere, all over the world. So we appreciate your support. Thank you so much. And let's dive into the other seed of MindFit. So in the last episode, we went over the seed of the exercise portion of MindFit, where it came from, what inspired me to even begin doing the research to learn about this world. But the other half of MindFit is the STEM world, STEM being science, technology, engineering, and math. And let's dive into that because you're going to go through my journey of going from a frustrated parent to a frustrated board member to a board president of a school district and everything in between and learning about a lot of the things that uh, unfortunately in many STEM programs across the country, not all, but in many, their STEM programs in many cases are non-existent or in my own opinion, even worse because they're a bit of a facade. So let's cue the theme song and we'll be right back. So the giant question is this, how do we as parents, teachers, school administrators, policymakers, coaches, how do we prepare our kids for a future that doesn't yet exist? All while making them healthier, more creative, more innovative, better problem solvers, and overall successful contributors to society. That is the question and this podcast has the answers. My name is Coach Mike and welcome to the MindFit Method Podcast. So let's dive in to the STEM side. So if you listen to the last episode, you heard how my son was really struggling in school and you know I had begun researching about the effect that exercise has on learning and retention and you know all of those amazing things in the world of neurocognition. And you know the way that I wound up Diving into the STEM world began with an incredible amount of frustration with the school that my son was in. My son went to public school and, you know, cerebellar hypoplasia, which my son was diagnosed with, proved to be a very, very difficult pill for elementary education to swallow. Now, I'm going to start this episode by saying this. My frustration with school districts and schools and education policies and the way things are done or were done, you know, in specific to my kids has nothing to do with blame. And here's what I mean by this. You know, society today has gotten very much into, well, who's to blame for a problem? And we put all of our energies there instead of to what our energy should be directed at, which is forget the blame. How do we fix the problem? That's a, it's a huge thing today. So before we start blaming teachers, blaming school districts, blaming school administrators, let's just say that these experiences that I had were with very specific teachers, specific school districts, specific school administrators. Not, they are not to be grouped into you know, those professions as a whole. Because let me tell you something, there were teachers that helped us through this process. They fought alongside us. They cried with us. They helped us better understand the system. They were phenomenal. And there are a lot of teachers out there that are like that. So let's not, you know, for one second, we are not putting blame 
anywhere here. What we're looking to do is to be able to solve this problem, not worry about the blame. All right, now that I've said that. So I was very frustrated with the school district. As my son was struggling in school, you know, think about the construct of a school day, right? The kids go in, they sit in many cases in desks that are in lines or rows and, you know, just sit there and learn. How many of you as adults can just sit down and learn like that and have an incredible amount of information thrown at you and learn? I can tell you right now that that is not something that I am good at at all. In fact, I mean, even my kids make fun of me, but when I'm thinking, when I'm learning, I actually have to be moving. I'm sure it's some type of weird issue that I have, but if I'm on a phone, I cannot sit and talk on a phone. I can't just sit and figure out a problem. I have to get up and I have to move. It's just who I am and how I work, which again is something that's very important so that people understand and learn how they learn. That, that is a very important thing that, that people need to understand because everyone learns a little bit differently. But that being said, I was very, very frustrated. And, you know, I actually had a situation once where after a very rough year of just learning, no, not behavioral issues, just learning. The, you know, we had our end of the year, I don't remember if it was a 504 and IEP meeting at that point, you know, for special education. And I remember sitting in a special education meeting and the teacher, after us asking the question, we asked the question, you know, what can we do over the summer to help my child, to help our son get to where he needs to be? Are there programs, are there online programs you would recommend? What would you recommend? And her response back to us was, I don't have a recommendation for you. He just can't learn. And as a parent, you know, after that statement breaks your heart, then, you know, the claws come out and you're like, what do you mean he can't learn? And we were so, so frustrated. Now, even before that meeting, we had already made a decision to move our kids to another school district. In New Jersey, there is a program called the School Choice Program. It is a state funded program where if a school in a town, I think it's within 30 miles away of where you live, has an open seat and they're enrolled in the school choice program, you can then go to that school. You, you know, there's no busing. You have to get your child to, the, to and back from the school, but it's state funded. And before people ask, no, it does not make one school district pay another. I used to get that question all the time. No, it does not. The money comes directly from the, uh, from this, from the state. But that being said, the school district of my town where my kids were no longer going also did not receive money to educate my child. So that's just kind of how that works. Nonetheless, uh, I was very frustrated and two things happened that really began the catalyst of the seed side of the MindFit method. The first was that after a very, very frustrating uh, time, I was just so frustrated with the school and this was before this big meeting. I was venting to my wife one night. I got home from work. I'm venting to my wife after dinner. And she was clearly in no mood for me to vent that night. And I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, you know, she said, you can keep complaining in the four walls of this house about all the things you don't like, or you can run for the board of education and try to change it. And let me tell you something, as someone who at that moment just wanted to vent and didn't really want a solution, I guess, I, she shut me down in my tracks. And she goes, you know, someone just resigned from the board. Maybe you could go for their seat. Now, I am no fan whatsoever of politics. I had never run for anything in my life. 
I didn't even want to be in student council when I was a kid. And this was uh, a whole new world for me. But what was also a whole new world for me was my son struggling so much in school and as a parent trying to figure out how to help. So what I did was I threw my name in uh, for the seat. And at that point, you're not in a general election. You're you actually interviewed directly with the board and the board makes a decision. At the time, I really didn't know anyone on the board. I might have you know, had an acquaintance with one or maybe two of the, of the board members. I really didn't know them. And I wound up having to run against a former board member who also interviewed for the position. And you know, I made a very impassioned plea on how I wanted change. But I also was very upfront with them because we had already made the decision to move our kids to another school district. So I told them that during the interview. And the board said to me, why then do you want to be on the Board of Education if your kids aren't going to be here? And my response was very simple. I said, look, I live in this town. I pay taxes in this town. And I want the children that go to this school district to have the same opportunities and same amazing experience of the school that I you know, am hoping my kids are going to have as I move them to. But every kid should have an amazing experience. And... I wound up on the board. I spent nearly three quarters of a decade on the board, of which about three of those years, I was the president of the board. And if you ever want an education in education, join a board of education, because I'm going to be honest, in many ways, I was a lot happier when I didn't know. They say ignorance is bliss, and my gosh, it is so true. I learned a lot about the, the public education world that honestly made me shocked in awe, frustrated, disappointed, and also some things that I thought were downright amazing. But in being on a board, one thing that I learned if, is that if you wanna become the most unpopular person in your town, make the decisions that you make on a board to positively impact student performance instead of positively impact teachers, parents, and everything else. And let me tell you, you do not become a very popular person. But for those of you that are on a board, and I hope you guys all view it the same way, every decision that you make as a Board of Education member, and remember, all a Board of Education member do is set policy. That's it. And, you know, rate your superintendent that you hire because the superintendent reports to the board. The, the most important thing that you do is that every single decision you make, everyone is, should be, you know, built around the question, will this improve student performance and student experience. If you can't answer that question to what you're doing, then you shouldn't be doing it. Now you might be thinking, okay, but that, what does that have to do with like putting a new roof on the school? Well, if it's leaking on the students or students have to be consolidated into other classrooms, could that be negative impacting their performance? 100%. Um, if you're going to hire a new custodian in the school, does that impact student performance completely? If the school is clean, if the kids feel great about where they are, that's going to have a positive impact totally. So every decision that you make should always go back to how is this positively going to affect student performance? But, you know, there's a lot of friendships. There's a lot of clicks. There's a lot of things in a, in a, in a town, especially a small town, that are less concerned about student performance and more concerned about status and culture and and by culture i mean what the former culture of the school was which is that if mediocrity is acceptable then mediocrity is acceptable well, let me tell you something it is not so i wound up being on the board of education at the same time that we were getting ready that i was joining the board 
we were moving uh, my kids. I had two in school at, at the time uh, to another school district. And two things happened right out of the gate at that school district. Uh, so number one, over the summer, we had reached out to the coordinator of special, ed special education in the school and wanted some recommendations, if she had anyone to suggest to uh, tutor math um, over the summer to help bring my son up to speed. And she did, she gave us a recommendation of a young and uh, very driven teacher who was willing to do summer tutoring and we hired him. And right out of the gate, my wife was blown away by this guy. Just absolutely phenomenal, amazing. And uh, the first thing he did was give like a grade equivalency test uh, to my son to see, you know, where is he really at? Because we were told he couldn't learn, he wasn't getting the concepts. And guess what? He passed the grade equivalency test. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, you know, you just have to teach kids the way that they learn. And we went over a few things. I gave him the test and he did great, which <laughs> let me tell you, as a parent, you're just like, oh my gosh, we made the right decision. This is so great. The second thing that happened when, when we moved to that school district was I met the superintendent of the school. And I actually met him on a tour of the school when we were still getting ready to make a decision. He was an individual that is just He's bigger than life. I mean, when he walks in a room, he owns the room. He is the most amazingly advanced thinker when it comes to, to childhood education. Uh, he's a true thought leader. And, you know, as superintendent of Green Hill School, John Natolo was honestly the, the, the diamond in the rough of education. You know, he, number one, he invested in his teachers. And what I mean by that is not just he hired a bunch of bunch of teachers. He brought on unbelievable professional development for teachers to help them teach, to help them understand how kids learn, to remove the age-old concept of just desks and rows. He brought in, you know, workstations and different types of reading programs, math programs. John Natolo is nothing short of amazing in the world of education. And him and I hit it off very early on. We're still great friends to this day. He's just, he's an amazing guy. And anywhere he goes, children benefit without a doubt. But John also did something else. And it was something that I did not know about, but the school was looking to start a STEM program. And the math tutor that we had hired over the summer was actually the person that he hired to run his STEM program and to really create the STEM program. And what was great about this role was that it was not a standard teaching role. Um, the young teacher, you know, had his, had his bachelor's, had his master's, was, was amazing, was amazing. But the number one job description of this job was innovate daily. Think about that. Think about being a teacher and not being burdened with standardized test scores, not being burdened with core curriculum content standards, instead being burdened with one task, innovate daily. For a STEM program, that is amazing. And that is exactly what this young teacher did. And the three of us, uh, myself, John, and this young teacher, 
we became very close to the point where, you know, we were hanging out pretty much every weekend, just learning about, it was me learning about how school works, how education works, how the politics of education works, uh, while at the same time being on a board of education in another school district. And, you know, one night we were sitting around my island and, you know, our wives were all friends as well. So they're hanging out in the other room. And John was talking about how, you know, school is just designed to make kids better at school. It wasn't designed to create innovative or creative thinkers. It was designed to get better scores on standardized tests. And we'll talk about standardized tests and the type of economy that we are in the United States on a different episode, because that's a whole long conversation to have. But, you know, he was frustrated. He was trying to move away from that. Now, here's what the funny thing is. As he moved away from that, as he put less focus on, on standardized test scores and stopped teaching to the test and instead focused on metacognition, learning how you learn, their test scores went way up because now the teachers had a better idea of how kids learn and how to teach to that. So he's talking about that as we're sitting around my island. The young STEM teacher is talking about how, you know, STEM is the future. And he himself was actually getting ready to do a long distance learning program and get his PhD from Virginia Tech um, in the world of STEM. This guy could code, he could 3D print, he could do robotics, he, he was crazy. But he did it in a way that was organized chaos. And the kids loved it because it wasn't about hitting a standard. It wasn't about a checklist of, did we do this? Did we do this? It was guys come up with a problem and let's solve it. And, you know, as he went into this and, and is talking about this, so we're having this conversation and then I chime in on the world of using exercise to enhance learning and imagine if school districts actually utilized and harness this power it would be incredible for kids. And the conversation toned down for just a few seconds. And I clearly remember saying out loud, imagine if you could take everything that the three of us are saying right now and put it into one space or one program. The effect on kids would be amazing. And I said that night, I said, I'd call it mind body. And it was literally like, I felt like I had an epiphany. I was like, all this, this works. We got to, what if we focused on education, but not on school? What if we focused on STEM, but not on structure instead on organized chaos? And what if we used exercise to harness and advance learning? And that epiphany, I could barely go to bed that night. And that is the day, honestly, that mind-body, which did not stay in mind-body very long, and quickly adopted the main MindFit, started. And, you know, MindFit became like a pipe dream. It was something that for several years, I mean, if I got a dollar for every time I said, one day when I start MindFit, one day when I start MindFit, uh, I'd be a very rich individual today. It was just this thing that was right there. I knew we were onto something. I knew we were onto something amazing that could have such a positive impact on kids. And it took time, it took years actually, but there was a night 
where I got home late from work and I work in the health healthcare world, healthcare hospital world. And, you know, we had had, uh, we were going into a, a, a good year. It was a good year financially for the hospital. And you, know, you get done with one of those meetings. It was like a budget meeting or something like that, where no matter what you did and no matter how much you, you know, blew the numbers out of the water, it, you know, everyone always wants more. That's with any company. It doesn't matter with a company or the industry. I always want more. I remember coming home one night and I was feeling a bit beat up. I was just, I was done. And my wife was already in bed. I, you know, came in quietly, you know, got myself washed up, crawled into bed. And she knew I had some big, you know, budget meetings that day. And she said, so how did it go? And I said, I'm just done. Done. It's never enough. I paused for a minute and I started thinking to myself, you know, I've been very successful in my career. I've grown, I've helped to grow a lot of businesses. And why am I not taking the step and doing this? What am I so afraid of? And I can tell you right now that the first thing that I was afraid of is what my wife would say. That was the first thing that terrified me. I mean, I was going on, I was 40 years old. How do you walk away from a super successful career and start something that has never been done before, never been tried, nothing like it? How do you do that? And I was quiet for a minute and was probably thinking that she was already drifting back off to sleep. And I spoke up, scared out of my mind, I spoke up and I said, I think it's time. And she paused for a minute and she said, okay. I said, do you know what I'm talking about? Because I was going to drop a bomb like no other about starting MindFit. And she said, yes. And I followed up with the question that I was the most scared of. Do you think I'm crazy? And her response is literally, her response is what launched this entire MindFit world. Her response was, I'm just surprised it took you this long. Now, she never said, yes, go and start it. But I took that as a yes, go and start it. And again, it was another night I didn't sleep. My mind was racing. But to go from a pipe dream and an idea to reality is very difficult. A lot of things to figure out. And think about it, right? Everyone has friends, or maybe we've even done it ourselves, where you know, uh, we, we, we say we came up with an idea that someone else wound up doing. I remember a friend of mine once said, you know, I pretty much had the idea for Netflix way before Netflix even came out. I should have done it. I'd be a billionaire. Okay. But no, because coming up with the idea and then actually doing and implementing that idea are two completely different things. And it takes guts for any of you that is an entrepreneur, you work for yourself out there, you know that uh, you're, you're putting yourself out there. You're putting yourself on the line and it is a lot of hard work. And sometimes that hard work pays off. Sometimes you put so much into it and it doesn't. Uh, our MindFit location had to close right at the time that COVID kicked out. And it is what it is. But if I hadn't undergone that experience and I hadn't worked with over a thousand kids between the ages of five and 15 and, and you know, take them took them through the 
the process of MindFit. A book never would have happened. This podcast never would have happened. So she said, I'm surprised it took you this long. And I ran with it. Literally the next day, I started the process of drawing up a business plan. What is it going to do? What type of facility do I need? How do I get funding? How do I fund this? And that was the seed of the STEM program. It was realizing that STEM was extremely important. Understanding metacognition and how people learn was important. Learning how to properly design organized chaos. Think about that statement for a minute. Learning how to properly design organized chaos. You're designing chaos in a way so that kids learn from it and not only learn from it, but love it. And then you combine the exercise portion in it and you prime their brains for learning. Um, that is the second seed of the MindFit method. And there's a little bit of a third seed, but I'm not going to talk about it today. I'm going to save it for another episode because there's a transition period during the MindFit method process that we used to call the, the decompression room, but there's a transition period, but I'm going to save that story for another day. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. We have a ton of really cool episodes lined up. Um, remember, if you haven't gotten your free copy of the MindFit method, go to the website, click the button, get it delivered to your door. Look, you can go on amazon.com and purchase it for $16.99, or you can go to the mindfitmethod.com and I will give you the book for free. All you have to do is cover shipping and handling. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, give it a like. Uh, feel free to share it on social media. If you think it would have an impact uh, on a child or a family or a teacher or a school district. And I appreciate your time. I appreciate every time you join me on these podcast episodes. I hope you have an amazing day and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks everybody.